Hello and welcome to the Church in Action program, where we talk with New England leaders about the imperative to make disciples, do justice, and foster unity to share Jesus to transform New England. This week, we're sharing part one of a two-part series on evangelism, including different styles of sharing Jesus and how the church can better spread the gospel with Mark Middleberg. We hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Charles Galda, president of Vision New England and your host for the Church in Action program, where we talk with leaders about the imperative to make disciples, do justice, foster unity, and share Jesus to transform New England. This week, we've got a special guest. Mark Middleberg is a best-selling author and speaker. He's the executive director of the Lee Strobel Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics at Colorado Christian University. His most recent book is Contagious Faith, Discover Your Natural Style for Sharing Jesus with Others. Mark, thanks so much for being with us. Well, thank you, Charles, and thanks for all you do with Vision New England. I, I thank God for your faithful witness and, and ministry in that important part of our nation. Thanks. I appreciate that. Mark, we've been having a lot of dialogue with leaders around New England and doing research on the topic uh, and coming up with a collective weakness when it comes to the church's responsibility to make disciples. Um, and it's played out in some pretty painful ways uh, that I'll just boil up as consumerism and partisanship. Uh, but, uh, but I'm sure you're seeing that because we're hearing those stories from around the country. Um, Dallas Willard says, well, making disciples is the primary and exclusive mission of the church. And we've said from leaders around New England, we're not good at that, <laughs> which seems like it would be a problem and we better figure it out fast. Would you agree with all of that or are you seeing something different? No, I would agree. And, I, you know, it's not to say there aren't other important things to do and things to tend to and be faithful in. But I agree. I mean, it, it's so easy to get caught up in the mechanics of running churches or ministries or or just living the Christian life. And especially after the last few years, you know, what we've been through in our nation and in the world with pandemics and shutdowns and everyone gets in survival mode. And, and it's just so easy to say, I just got to do what I got to do to keep, you know, the budget balanced and paying my bills and, you know, not going crazy with, you know, the kids or, the, you know, being locked down in the house or, and I, I think a lot of us are just kind of have, uh, you know, fatigue from that. And I think it's, it's easy then to kind of get in a mode where we're, uh, you know, again, just kind of doing triage on our life and our ministry to survive and, and our vision kind of becomes inward and, and fo you know, focused on ourselves and, and what we need to do. And we forget that we need to lift our eyes to the hills and say, God has put us on a mission. Jesus, before he left this planet, said, the main reason I'm leaving you here is to go into your world, you know, starting wherever you live, you know, starting your own backyard with your own neighbors all the way to the uttermost parts of the world, but I'm leaving you here to go into the world and reach people and teach them and baptize them and make disciples. And so I, I think we need to, at this point, kind of take a deep breath in kind of the collective life of the church and as Christians and say, thank God we're here. Thank God we've survived. But now we got to get back to the main thing that, you know, that Jesus left us here for. Yeah, because it's, it's a great point. It's it's gotten, based on what we've been hearing from leaders, it's disciple-making has gotten crowded out by other good things. <clears throat> yeah. But yeah. at the end of the day, it's crowded out. Yeah, and it's usually not, you know, that we're dabbling in some horrible thing. It's, it's usually that 
we let the good things crowd out the the best and most important things. And again, a lot of those good things we have to do. It's it's not an e always an either or, but it's so easy right now to let those good things you know just mm. completely dampen what we're called to do. I I, I have a term for this. Um, you, you remember the second law of thermodynamics? I'm not going to quiz you on it right now. But, uh, I'll just nod knowingly. Yeah. Oh, of course, oh, yeah, yeah. explain it to our audience. <laughs> it's the law of uh, of entropy. It's the you know yeah. things tend to disintegrate and dis you know, dissolve and, and so forth. Well, I talk about something I call the spiritual uh, law or the law of spiritual dynamics. The second law. I'm not saying it right. The second law of spiritual dynamics, and it's evangelistic entropy. It's mission entropy. It's discipleship entropy. And what I mean is, we, we, you know, at some point back in the day, we started out probably on fire for Jesus and for reaching people. And a lot of us, that's why we've gotten involved in various ministries and roles, because we want people to know him. But then over time, the second law of spiritual dynamics kicks in. Evangelistic entropy happens. And what started out white hot for the gospel becomes kind of an inwardly focused Christian club. And, you know, we kind of the squeaky wheel gets the oil and the squeaky wheel is usually believers that need ministry and need encouragement, need help and need counseling. And again, that's, that's all important. But we need to get, you know, we need to realign our focus and lift our eyes and say, we are here to do greater things than just maintain and keep the 99 sheep happy. Jesus said, there's points where you leave those sheep in the pen and you go find the ones that are lost. And I think we're at a place where the church must refocus on that. And that's my life passion in ministry is to try to help us do that. And, and I'm a Baptist, so I know you can't make 99 of us happy. So it doesn't matter. You're wasting your time trying. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, that's not a problem just with Baptists. That's pretty universal, <laughs> isn't it? And and so we've been talking about um, this disciple making in the context of spiritual formations and the role they play in in transforming our hearts to be like Jesus. And so, how do you think about evangelism or sharing your faith in that? Do you consider it a spiritual discipline, or is it something else? Is it an input or is it an outcome? How do you think about it? Uh, it's an on-ramp. Um, you know, you think about the term spiritual formation. There's no spirit to form if that spirit hasn't been enlivened by, you know, the Holy Spirit and, you know, responded to the gospel. I and mean, we need a spiritual birth in order to then have a spirit to form um that's that's trying to align with christ and so on you know sanctification only comes after justification and so when jesus says go into the world and make disciples i think it's easy especially for pastoral types and counselor types and encouragers to kind of view that as simply all right bring me the sheep and i'll i'll work with them you know i'll i'll, I'll kind of shepherd them and, and groom them and whatever i need to do and they kind of forget there are no sheep until those sheep are born. Um, and so the, I, I quite literally go back to Matthew uh, 28, 18 through 20 and say, the first part of that whole discipleship mi mission is to literally make disciples. And that happens through evangelism and it happens through the gospel. It's a miracle. I'm not saying it's something we do on our own, but it is something Jesus said, I want you to go and make disciples. This is why you're here. Um, and if I could just throw in, it's, 
a lot of us don't think about the fact that there's lots of good things we do uh, in this life that we will do for all of eternity in heaven. Uh, we'll worship God for all of eternity. We will fellowship with each other for all of eternity. We will continue to learn more about, you know, I don't know if we'll have literal Bibles, but we'll learn more about God's word and his will and his nature. And I think that's an ongoing process in heaven. But the one thing we can do and must do here and now that is is only for a short time and then the trumpet blows and it's over is make the disciples do the work of evangelism. And uh, we have a few short years or months or whatever we have available, and then it's over for eternity. And so for me, that is a pretty strong hint about why we have to prioritize that front end of the Great Commission of bringing people into the fold and then be responsible to, once they're in the fold, then, yes, work with them, help them grow, help them form spiritually. Yeah, I don't think any of us are going to be looking back from uh, the new world, the new heavens, the new earth, saying, I'm so glad I balanced my budget yeah. in 2022. Yeah. Not that it's not important, but it's not the important thing. Not the main thing. And and so if we, so if we think about evangelism as a spiritual discipline, how do we exercise that discipline? Yeah. Well, you know, you think about any discipline, uh, you know, it, it takes the on the, you know, off the field training to become effective on the field. Um, and, you know, I think of the spirit of the disciplines and Dallas Willard and, and the, the, you know, literal disciplines of, you know, prayer and silence and fasting and, and these various things and scripture meditation and so on. Um, well, that takes effort. It takes intentionality. It takes commitment to it. And I think the same is true about evangelism. It doesn't fall in your lap. I mean, it, it might once in a while, but, um, you know, people are not coming our way going, hey, we're lost out here. You know, what are you doing for us spiritually? Help me. You know, mostly people are looking the other way and moving away from God rather than coming to him and to the church. And so that's why, again, back to the Great Commission, Jesus said, I want you to go. He's talking to us. I mean, we get ourselves moving. So, yeah, it, looking at it as a spiritual discipline, it's saying, I, I need to pray. I need to prepare. I need to kind of know a little bit of what I'm going to say. Not that I need a memorized speech or formula, but, but I'm not going to be effective on the field evangelistically unless I've done some preparation off the field. First Peter 3.15 says, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. And uh, so, and again, that's what most of my ministry is, is trying to help prepare uh, you know, people around the nation and around the world to say there are natural things we can do uh, to share the good news of Christ in ways that fit who he made us to be, but in ways that will connect to the people he's called us to reach. And I view it as the greatest adventure on the planet. I, I don't know of anything that's more exciting or more rewarding. And yeah, it's sometimes scary, but that's true of any adventure. Uh, all adventure has an element of danger, an element of risk. And that's part of what makes it exciting. And, and the same is true when it comes to evangelism. But we want comfort these days, not risk don't we? Yeah. And that's why we're boring. 
you know, a lot of people say, you know, I, I've kind of got the Christian life figured out. I, I know how to read my Bible each morning or evening whenever I do it. And I say prayers and I'm, I'm growing spiritually and I'm faithful with church attendance and giving or whatever, you know, they kind of go through the list. They go, I'm good. And I, and I, when I speak to groups live, I go, you're not good. You're boring. Um, <laughs> you know what, again, not, nothing against any of those things I just said, but that's not where the, the uh, excitement is. We, we don't read biographies of people who were like, faithful with their 15 minute devotions and I mean, we love people like Hudson Taylor that as a 19 year old got on a ship and and sailed to China with no one waiting for him and then you know took all kinds of risks to build a ministry and reach a nation and today millions of Chinese Christians would trace their spiritual heritage back to Hudson Taylor those are the heroes and we love to hear about those guys and, you know, kind of applaud them and say, man, we need more of those folks in the world. Well, guess what? We can learn from them. And yeah, I'm not talking about crazy risks necessarily, although sometimes God leads us to those. But but if you don't have an element of risk, life, the Christian life can become mechanical and routine. And so um, I, I would say to all of our listeners and viewers, if you want excitement in your Christian life, if you want to have the exhilaration of saying the Holy Spirit is leading me and, you know, and guiding me and he's putting me on a mission and he's using me, get involved, take some risks for the sake of the gospel and you will be forever grateful. And so will the people you reach who will be thanking you for all of eternity. Yeah. I've, I've read a number of things recently that gets at this point of we love, honor, revere William Carey, Taylor Hudson, Teresa of Avila. We just don't, don't replicate what they yeah. do or what they believe. Exactly. <laughs> and we so, miss the adventure again. I mean, right. those guys, the the lives they lived and, and the ways God used them. And, you know, we, we all wish we saw miracles in our lives. Well, you tend to get, see miracles when you get out on a limb of faith, yeah. trusting God. And I don't mean doing crazy stuff, but I mean doing stuff that God is in and he's leading yeah. and we're joining him in his mission to go into the world, whether it's across the street in Boston or, or whether it's, you know, getting on a ship to go to China um, or an airplane. Um, when we trust God and follow his lead, he knows how to provide and meet our needs and come through just with just enough, just in time. And then we go, man, I wouldn't have seen those miracles if I hadn't trusted him, if I hadn't stepped out a little bit, if I hadn't obeyed his command to go into my world for him. Yeah, I have a professor who I always remember him saying, if you want to see God, if you want to see God work, you need to take risks on God. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, he doesn't need to do anything. Yeah, it, right? it doesn't take a lot of faith to just read my Bible and go to church. I mean, again, those are those are basics. But it's out of those that we discover, you know, that we're on a mission that God wants to use us. He wants to, you know, Jesus said in John 15, 5, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. And, you know, it's clear he's talking about not just spiritual fruits of the spirit, but also replicative fruit in helping other people come to know him. And again, that's what we're here for. And boy, we will never regret taking risks for the sake of the gospel. 
And and so, Mark, when you mentioned it's exhilarating to share the gospel with people, it can be scary to share the gospel with people. Is is the it can be scary because all the data says we're not most of us are not going to share our faith with anybody this year. Is it the scary part that is the reason, or in your work, what have you found? Why don't we share our faith with people? Yeah, I, it's a great question. I think a lot of it is. I mean, there's a lot of answers to that question. I think a lot of it is we. Um, Often in our churches, we don't make that the norm. I'm talking to pastors and church leaders. Um, a lot of what is said, and, and it's kind of this expectation that, you know, yeah, maybe bring your friends to church and let them hear the gospel through the pastor, which I'm all for. But we sometimes, I think we we don't challenge people. We don't give them opportunities. We don't realize that you know, according to Peter and other other you know places in the New Testament, we are a kingdom of priests unto God. We are uh, ambassadors for Him. It says in Corinthians, we are uh, literally on a mission to speak for Him, to to speak about His truth. We are you know Acts one eight. We are His witnesses, and I think as leaders, we need to instill that vision. And then for us who are our Christians to take that seriously and say, you know, when Jesus looked in the eyes of those disciples in Matthew 28 and said, I want you to go into the world and change it under my power and with my message. And he was looking through their eyes and into yours and mine, because all of us who name the name of Christ are called to be disciples who follow that command. But uh, I'm sorry for the long answer here. But I think a lot of it, too, is just a lack of preparation a lack of training. And so, you know, if you don't get ready for something, then how do you expect to do well? I, I used the analogy earlier of doing off the field preparation. So when you're on the field, uh, take a football team, take the Patriots. Um, Which know. is all you can take up here. Nobody, everybody <laughs> gets upset <that> otherwise. <laughs> but I mean, they're not going to do well unless Belichick is beating their brains out on the practice field and they're, they're going through the motions and, and training and working hard, which, you know, over the years, he's done a quite a job with them and they've quite, got quite a track record, but it's because they do the off the field preparation that then when they're on the field, they're usually quite effective. Same in our lives. And that's, again, I, I'm an advocate and an author of, old-fashioned evangelism training. And by that, I'm not talking about stereotypical necessarily where we're going to get you ready and now we're going to all go and knock on people's doors. Um, I'm all for that for some people. That's not my style and that's not most of our styles. So I'm not saying that, but I am saying we got to kind of think through what we're going to say and someone goes, what's the big deal about church? Or, you know, the Bible's a confusing big book. You know, what... Can you sum this thing up for me? Actually, I can. And here's a verse. And here's a here's an illustration. Here's the central message of the Bible. We are sinners who need a Savior. And God sent the Savior. His name is Jesus. He's paid the penalty for our sins. And he's given us, uh, offered us new life. But we have to receive him. John 1.12, as many as received. And, and just to be able to sum that up. But you only are able to do that with off the field preparation. And I believe every church should be seeking to train every member of the church to share the gospel. And I think all of us as believers need to read the books and get ready and pray for opportunities because God uses ordinary Christians uh, to, to share the good news. And maybe I'm sorry to ramble on here, but maybe it would help for me to say, I struggle with all that. Um, especially earlier in my Christian life, 
I had all the stereotypes of evangelism. I had experiences where I tried some of the cold contact stuff, didn't go well. I concluded evangelism was not for me, but it wasn't until I learned that I could take natural approaches that fit me and then work in a team with other people, including my wife, who has a different approach. That's where I think we can unleash all of us, where, where we realize we're not trying to make everyone a preacher or everyone an apologist or everyone a bold extrovert who loves to talk to strangers at the shopping mall. Um, but we're, we're trying to play to all of our personalities with a variety of biblical styles. And that's what I've written about in this new book, Contagious Faith. And, let, and let's shift gears into that, because I, I, you made a point that I think is really important, and it's the what I call the cold call, call evangelism, right? Knock on the door or stand on the street corner, and God can use whatever God wants to use. But we find that in the old handing out tracts, those models are less effective today in New England, and I'm guessing probably elsewhere, too. Sure. Um, and, and so... This no, but it seems to me like what you're part of what you're saying in contagious evangelism is some of us have too narrow a definition of what it means to share your faith. Yeah, and I think when going back to your question, why don't we share our faith? Because a lot of us go, I know what that looks like, and it doesn't look like me. And and then they have pic pictures like what you just painted. And by the way, if if you are effective at some of those approaches, I'm not trying to slow anyone down. God bless you. <laughs> oh yeah, and I mean. And it was someone very direct and confrontational that reached me when I was 19. So I celebrate that, but that's not my approach. Um, yeah, I, I spent a summer in England trying to do door-to-door -door evangelism. I kind of signed up for something I didn't know what I was getting into. And I, I spent eight weeks, count them, eight weeks. in. This is in old England, not new England. Yeah. Um, but I think the two have very uh, high similarities uh, oh, yeah. more and more these days. And it was tough. And I mean, by the time I was on the plane flying back to America, I'm like in my mind, I don't know if I said it out loud, but in my mind, I was like, I'm done with this. And then I realized it was partly from my experience over there. I realized if I partnered with other people, especially my wife, and let her use more of the friendship building approach. And I use more of my reason giving up. I'm an apologist. Yeah. But if we partner, she can open doors. Literally in, in London, she opened doors. She would knock mm -hmm. them. Door. They'd open them for her, but not for me, yeah. uh, which I was impressed by. And bugged by too. Like, why don't they open it for me? Well, <laughs> let's just go with it. And, I'm guessing she's prettier than you, though. <laughs> Minimally. Yes, yes. She And uh, so she'd knock on the door. I'd kind of rush in behind her. Um, mm. Prior to that, people were telling us to go home and pester people in our own country. I mean, so I learned that we can work as a team, that we can play to yeah. our own strengths, that we can, uh, you know, work together in ways that can reach people. And and that was the seeds of it. And I got back to where I lived at the time. I was part of a church in Chicago. I heard a sermon about how even in the pages of the Bible, they didn't share their faith all in the same way. And that was the seeds of what's now, you know, become this book, Contagious Faith, um, where I go through five biblical approaches to how, you know, and my guess is all of our listeners can do at least one of these and it, it, it'll be natural for you. And then when you get in situations that don't fit you, you can partner with someone else like I do with my wife who has a different approach than yours. So let's let's start with her. So there's the five styles you talk about. Let's start with your wife's gifting and calling that open the doors in ways that you couldn't. And I'm guessing I probably can't either. What, yeah. what is her style, if you will? And how does that work? Yeah. And let me just mention real quick, we have a website called Contagious Faith 
book.com where there's a little questionnaire because uh, I'm going to have to go through this really quickly, but where people can go and they can, you know, do this little questionnaire at contagiousfaithbook.com. It'll help you figure out what your style is and all the more if you do the book or the six week uh, video training course. But Heidi's style is what I call the friendship building style. And we see it in Matthew, the tax collector who becomes a disciple. Uh, Luke 5.29, it talks about how he had a party at his house, a banquet, invited Jesus and the disciples and his tax collecting friends and mixed it up relationally. And I believe mixed it up spiritually with them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's Heidi. She's a, a people person. And she, she's, a, she's one of those extroverts that, and I'm, I'm mildly extroverted. She's just boldly extroverted. She's one of those people that makes new best friends on an elevator ride, you know, that kind of person. So friendship builder, and that's the first one. The second one is what I call the selfless serving style. And this is, you see it in Tabitha uh, in uh, Acts chapter nine, she makes clothing for people in need. And her service is so important that you read in Acts nine, she died. And God sends an apostle, sends Peter to pray over her, raise her back to life, put her back to work. Um, she was like a first century Mother Teresa. She, she used works of service to open hearts to God. Yeah. And uh, such an important one. A lot of churches have more and more gravitated toward you know, justice and outreach programs that serve the community and so on. And I applaud that. But what I don't applaud is what's happened in a lot of those churches. And that is the pendulum has swung. And now we just serve people in need and everyone applauds it. But let's not stir things up and get too messy with telling them they're a sinner that needs a savior. They'll they'll figure that out. No, we need to combine these, serve in the name of Jesus, and then give the message of the gospel of Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. And that's that's how that style works. Thanks for listening to part one of this series on evangelism. We hope this dialogue helps us be the people of God who do the work of God to transform our world. Visit visionnewengland.org for past episodes and resources and click donate to partner with us to accelerate evangelism here in New England. This program is brought to you by our friends at the Louise Palau Association, who are dedicated to proclaiming the good news, uniting the church, and impacting cities worldwide. God bless you, and thanks for listening. Tune in next week for part two.